0: Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer, And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 66 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 66, we are going to be answering some listener questions and then posing some sort of a series of theoretical questions of our own in preparations or as we look forward to the internationals meet coming up, I think one, two, three, four weeks away, a little bit less than four weeks away. So uh, we will be kind of just jumping through some various different questions and seeing where those kind of discussions lead us. It's going to be kind of a more free form. A podcast than what we have in recent have done in recent memory, so it should be fairly interesting. So with that, we'll just kind of jump right into the first question, which comes from Luke, and I'll just kind of read it, and then you know Scott and I will kind of go into it and dig up, dig around a little bit. And uh, Luke writes so. In virtual quizzing, there is a delay between when a quizzer hits the enter key on their keyboard and when the quiz master stops reading the question. Obviously, this will result in many quizzers jumping early because they know the quiz master will get an extra half syllable, sometimes more, uh, out after they jump. Uh, what do you think is a good way to jump competitively in a virtual meet while still minimizing risk? So, Scott, we talked a little bit about this last podcast. But what are your uh, additional thoughts on this?
1: Well, first off, there is a delay in physical quizzing between the time that a quizzer's light comes on and the quiz master stops reading because the quiz master should not be anticipating a jump. But that gap is a lot shorter than in virtual quizzing, which is really the basis of Luke's question, right? We have a longer than normal gap of time there. Um, so what to do? So I would think about each question type and if you think about how fast you can jump on every single question type, whether it's um, five syllables, one syllable, two and a half syllables, one and a quarter syllables, there's going to be, um, I mean, the speed at which you jump is inversely related to the accuracy if you win the jump at that speed, right? Um, But the differences between each, say, half syllable increment are not equal. So there are like massive differences between two very small um, jumping speeds for each question, you know, for interrogatives, it might be the difference between two and a half and three syllables or two and two and a half for uh, a reference question, like a chapter verse reference. The difference is right in that small moment between getting enough to fully know the verse number and having not getting enough and having to guess that verse number. And, and so when people are jumping faster, I think it's helpful to know on which questions are those kind of gaps the smallest and the the resulting differences in accuracy the largest. And I think that Lucas spot on. Well, no, this is one of your comments. Like quotes may be pretty much random. I think for the questions like chapter verse references and quotes that require you to like everyone's going to be jumping in just the reference, but because of this slightly longer quiz master technical delay, you're going to be pushing that jump speed earlier and taking on more risk and there's probably more risk of getting stuck with something that you have to guess on even if you're a quarter of a syllable off right or something really really small as opposed to an interrogative if you're a quarter of a syllable off there might not be the the biggest difference and so I think that non-cvrs and non-quotes will be very attractive or should be very attractive types relatively speaking at this meet because if you're aiming to win a jump at two and a quarter syllables but you just happen to win it at two half the time and two and a half half the time because of some randomness and technical delay and what have you it's going to be fine like it's not going to radically change your expected accuracy when you're when you're winning those jumps but if on reference questions or quotes, you just happen to get stuck a lot with verse and then barely a mouth shape. Um, I guess there's not a whole lot of 20s and 30s and 40s in this year's material, but um, you can get, I think you can get stuck a lot easier on um, only very small variances in jump speed can cause you to get stuck and your accuracy to really plummet. I think those are my thoughts.
0: Yeah, I agree. Do you think when it comes to quote questions, well, OK, there's because of the way jumping is going to let me rephrase the question and think about it before I just start uh, saying words is do you think that because of the nature of virtual quizzing, having a higher lag and theoretically, hopefully within a single room of a quiz master, that lag will be consistent, but it will be bigger than, say, an in the in-person lag of whatever uh, period of time it is. Do you think that if somebody does not necessarily have all of the material, uh, fully controllably memorized, that they're gonna wanna shy away from quote questions because there won't really be a way to jump on the, I know this. Uh, reference, or I don't, because the jumping will have to be prior to that. However, for people who do have the entirety of the material memorized and feel comfortable with that, that the quote, the quote type questions are actually going to be like hyper sought after. I don't think
1: that would be a factor because I have not witnessed an interdistrict meet where the jumps on CBRs and quotes were not like you're starting your. You're starting to move. like You have made the decision to jump long before you know if it's going to be any sort of verse that you know. Um, the only way that you could filter is if there are some chapters that you know you don't know. So if you hear, quote, Hebrews chapter 11, then you sit back. Otherwise, you don't. But I don't think a slightly longer delay, a technical delay, is going to have any impact on decision to jump based on if, if you know 100% of the material versus 90
0: Well, no, I wouldn't look, I guess that's sort of my point, right? So if I know 90% of the material, if I can wait to get maybe the mouth shape of a chapter, right, uh, in an in-person meet, I may want to do that to be like, is this from a chapter I I really know or am am maybe not quite as confident on? Um, Versus if I have all of the material memorized fairly strongly, then I don't have to wait for the mouth shape. All I have to do is wait for the question to become eligible in a sense right like I can take i can, I can take a greater risk on uh in in virtual quizzing if i on a on a quote question if i know all of the material then if i know 90%. so ergo my theory being that if for those who know 100% of the material quote questions could be something where they can be much more aggressive than somebody who is say at 90%. So, in other words I think the aggression level of, of jumping can be str- uh, uh, at a hundred percent versus 90% is a wider gap in virtual than in, in person. I see what you're saying. I would hope that,
1: um, this, the quizzer does not have to start jumping before they know the chapter number. Um, but that might be the case. I think, I mean, in general, just mentally speaking confident and confidence wise, if you know 100% of the material, you're going to be quite a lot better off than someone who knows 99% of the material. I knew I hated having problem chapters, and I would work really hard to not have them because otherwise they just stick in the back of your head. But I think, I don't know, I think for the most part you're just kind of having to decide to jump and you're just deciding at what speed, um, and it's tough to modulate that once the question is underway. Right.
0: One of the things that I'm going to be encouraging the quizmasters to do is uh, a series of practice jumps, uh, and not just with mouth shapes, but maybe even with practice questions, because it's there's going to be there's going to be six rooms. There's going to be variance between the quizmasters in terms of speed and in terms of bleed, and I'm, I'm going to be. Encouraging the faster reading quizmasters to uh, to slow things down a little bit as best they can. I mean, quizmasters are very set in their ways because they practice so much a particular way that it's very hard to say like, okay, I need to do it differently for this particular case. It's it's very difficult to sh- uh, shift that behavior. But I'm I'm going to be encouraging the the quizmasters who read. You know, at lightning speed to kind of slow things down, be much more methodical. Uh, it, as long, but, but I think consistency is more important than anything, right? If you're going to be, uh, both fast and slow, that's actually worse than just being fast. Um, but being slow consistently is better than being fast, consistent, uh, consistently. So I'm going to be kind of working with them to kind of go in that direction. Uh, and then do, you know, as a, as a result of that, hopefully reducing the amount of bleed that kind of kind of bleeds through (laughs) Uh, but at the same time uh, there is going to be differences from room to room and there's going to be six rooms so it is not going to necessarily be that easy to you know jump into a room or start into a room in a quiz and say to yourself like oh okay this is you know 2.4 syllables versus 2.1 syllables from the previous room or splitting hairs really, really tightly uh, therein. So we're going to try to encourage some kind of level of of a couple of questions of practice questions before the, the quiz actually starts to help people get into a rhythm. But given the variance between, you know, speed and bleed and whether you can get those practice jumps in there or not. What are things a quizzer can do if they're entering a room kind of fresh or if they've been in say room 5 before but it was, you know, it's been several quizzes before they've been there before. What's what are what are sort of mental tricks to be able to get yourself set and ready on on question 1?
1: I don't know how to be ready on question 1. I mean, if you don't have the body of data to know what the speed's going to be, I don't think you have it on question 1. Now, by the way, this is why I really like Quizmasters that don't read, like, jokey and fake uh, practice questions, but, like, read an actual question with actual cadence so that you get a sense for that, sort of, like, lead up to a question and delay from, like, when you are moving to when um, they stop reading. I think that that is, should be the intent of practice questions, is to familiarize all the participants with uh, your timing. So... I would request that of the quizmaster frankly. I would say, "Hey, can you read, can you make up a question, you know, and read it or can you just make up a reference and read it?"
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would I and and quizzers don't feel shy about doing that, right? These uh, quizmasters, I think they're pretty much all former quizzers uh or if not they've been in quizzing for a long time, uh feel free to speak up and say, "Hey, can you do a practice jump at your normal Uh, speed so we can get used to it, that kind of stuff. Um, Obviously, I'm going to be speaking to them ahead of time and encouraging that sort of behavior. But uh, if you need any help, this is a virtual medium. It's definitely weird. It's definitely not normal. And hopefully we never ever have to do it again. Uh, But it's better than nothing. So definitely make your voice be heard in those situations. And
1: I go crazy on timing because I think it's the most important thing. And like when I read a quote question, I will, I will read it like, quote, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. So I have a, a, a small pause between 1 and verse, right? Quote, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. There are other quiz masters that will read it, quote, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, where there's no pause of any kind. It's just straight through. And that sort of knowledge is the quizzer has to have it. Yeah. So if you're a quiz master, you have to make sure that you're providing, you're reading it, however you're going to read it. Cause I'm not saying that one's better than the other. It's just, that's information the quizzer has to have. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, any other thoughts on jump
1: prep? Um, not really from a quizzer perspective, but if I can get on my soapbox, yeah. I, I think, I think that conversational reading and deliberate reading are so, so important for a quiz master. I, I just so dislike quiz masters that read so fast I mean, I assume that the intention is to get lots of information out, but whether that's the intention or not, I don't think any of it is the point. Like, you should be reading at a conversational rate where quizzers know, like, have the ability to jump at small, precise uh, differences from each other. And if you're reading incredibly fast, then quizzers don't have the ability to jump on one and a half syllables versus four. Um, And I think that that is how we differentiate between quizzers. It's giving them the opportunity, if they've prepared as such on a certain type, to jump at 0.2 syllables if they want, Um, or to jump at 1.6 when everyone's jumping at 1.9 so that you you win the jump because you know you're better prepared. And if a quiz master is reading fast so that they're either inconsistent or just giving out a lot of information, that extra-prepared quizzer can't actually show what they know. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you want to drop us into the next question?
1: Yeah, so this first one was, if a quizzer is able to pull an over on a quiz master, should they? And I'm thinking about two of the most tough judgment calls as a quiz master are for a quizzer who is answering, did they provide enough information to be counted correct? Thinking about a simple question like an interrogative. And then kind of on the flip side, did they provide me enough information from a different context to be counted out of context? And both of those are subjective things where you're just kind of d- deciding, did they get all the required information? Did they um, not give me incorrect information. Did they give me enough to be counted into a different context? And so there's lots of like looking at the meaning of the material and, you know, definitions of words and that kind of thing. And I, um, I don't know if I was this type of quizzer. I might've been, but I've definitely seen quizzers who would try to not in a dishonest way, but would argue like, Hey, in the original Greek, this word means this. And, you know, Jesus was referring, when he said, when he was referring to people, he could have been referring to both, this kind of group of people and this kind of group of people. so this this answer is not incorrect. You know, they would bring up lots of stuff that probably um, is not a basis for making any of those rulings. I don't know if a quizmaster can consider um, word origins and roots and kind of deep meaning stuff like that. But if you're a quizzer and you know that you can trot out these sorts of arguments and get quizmasters to rule in your favor because of it, should you?
0: Well, yeah, that's a very interesting question. So, the quiz master should not take into consideration the Greek origin of a particular word. Um, and because, I mean, we quiz on the, you know, black and white letter of what's in the, you know, whatever NIV, what is it, 2011 or something. Um, we, we quiz on that, on those words and those words alone. Uh, and we don't stray into meaning and we don't stray into uh, word origins or original meanings or context beyond the context of the actual just text itself. Now, I say this as a theologian and somebody who loves looking at the origin of words and the interplay of meanings between those things and the historical context of those things and the deeper meanings thereof. When you put all of that tapestry together, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But in quizzing, we expressly don't do that because it is a rabbit hole with no end. Um, And of course, one of the reasons I love studying that is because it is a rabbit hole with no end, right? Um, so a quizmaster should not be taking any of that into to, into account. And if a challenge included some sort of reference to, well, the original Greek says this or means this, you know, kind of thing, a quizmaster cannot take that into consideration. But that's on the quizmaster. The and the question here is really more well, if a quizzer knows this. And believes they can convince, say, a not very strict quiz master to change their mind because of something. Like, I don't know that I can fault a quizzer for giving it a try. I mean, you would want to do it in a, in a, you know, always in a mindset of, of sportsmanship, always in a mindset of fairness, you know, that kind of thing. But. I think it's, I think it's sort of like the adversarial system in a courtroom, right? The two lawyers and the judge and so forth, or two sides, multiple lawyers, each side, whatever. Um, the idea being that you are passionately advocating, fairly but passionately advocating a particular position right that your team should get a, a, a something correct or or whatever it is that you're ha- you're happening to ch- happening to challenge so i i can't fault a quizzer for doing that i think a quizzer's job Is to try to find any way of sort of squeaking out a a win. I think that's important, but at the same time, I think there's there's that balance, right? Um, A lawyer in a courtroom can really start to become uh, very pedantic and annoy the judge, and that generally works really badly. (laughs) Uh, There's a balance there, right? You 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 want to push gently but not push to a point of annoyance. So as long as a quizzer is, you know, following that sort of mindset of trying to push gently and respectfully uh, in all cases that they can, I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, So it's sort of like, you know, going back to the original question here, if a quizzer is able to pull one over on a quiz, quiz master, should they? I think they should, but the quizmaster shouldn't allow themselves to have one pulled over on them. I definitely
1: agree that a quizmaster shouldn't, but I mean, the, yeah, my question focuses elsewhere, you know, like is there some I think ethical is too strong of a word, but I mean, i you could take it a bit further, like let's say a, a quizzer knows the rulebook and deliberately misrepresents the rule book or you quotes the rule book, but something that's not there that no other captain or quizmaster can catch or does catch you know like sure. is that is is that too far now you
0: know yeah that's too far because i mean that's that's i mean essentially quoting something out of the rule book that isn't there or knowingly right i mean if 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 you make a mistake that's one thing right if if you're pretty sure the rule book says something and it turns out it doesn't everybody makes mistakes that's fine but if you knowingly misrepresent the rule book right Uh, that's a bridge too far. I mean, that's, uh, you're, you're effectively engaging in deception at that point. And, and I'd be like, no, that's not appropriate. I wouldn't go there. But in terms of like, you know, the original example, if you know the original Greek of a particular word and you think you can argue a logical reason why this might not necessarily either, well, putting you out of context is a little bit too, uh, uh, Not really germane, but let's say, uh, you provided an answer. It's not right enough. You're counted incorrect after the 30 seconds. And you say, well, actually, the word is, is, uh, is not a unique word that I didn't get. And the, the word that I provided means the same thing in Greek. And you make that sort of argument. If you're not being deceitful, if you, if you are able to put that sort of argument together, I mean, that, that to me seems okay. But I mean, I definitely would not, you know, don't lie, don't deceive. Uh, don't make up, make up something in the rule book because the quizmaster, you know, isn't going to look it up and, or, or doesn't have a rule book with them. Although gosh, a quizmaster really, really should have the rule book with them and they should know it and all this kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, does that make sense? I think so. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think I mostly agree, but
1: it, those two scenarios represented don't seem all that different to me.
0: Well, one is, one is you're being truthful and honest based on information. And the other one is you're being intentionally deceitful. I think that for me is the difference.
1: Sure. But you're being like, you're presenting true and honest information that you know, should not be the basis for anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But I mean, that happens in challenges all the time, right? You look at you look at a, a particular interpretation of a particular answer. Uh, you're, you can, you can argue both sides, right the, the a, an experienced captain should be able to argue both sides of something that is an ambiguous well not an ambiguous, but a difficult call made by the quizmaster, a good captain ought to be able to, you know argue on both sides of that equation. Um, that doesn't mean that they're arguing unethically, uh, but if they deceive in their argument or if they say, well, he actually didn't say x when in fact, you know that he did then that's, that's the bridge too far in, in my, uh, from my perspective. Sure. The next
1: one I had here is are there situations um, that there should be a higher bar for deciding if you should challenge as a quizzer? And situations might be um, you would be challenging a rookie versus a veteran or you are challenging to have someone counted incorrect versus challenging to have yourself or somebody else counted correct. And there's probably lots and lots of scenarios you could think of.
0: I think yes, but it is highly dependent on context. Um, What do you think? I think yes as well, but let's
1: talk about the context that you're thinking of.
0: Well, so I would say at internationals, or in this case, internationals, uh, no. Like, go ahead and challenge in all cases, right? If it's a rookie, you know, I... I'm sorry, it's a rookie, but go ahead and challenge. I, I think you you want to um you want to try to squeak in as much as you can at internationals or internationals or whatever it happens to be. At a district meet, um at a district meet, I think it's different, especially if you're talking about, you know, prelims. So let's say it's, you know, district meet number 2, and of course we're talking about the PNW Uh, district here, every district is going to be a little bit different on how you do things. So when I say district meet number two, that may not mean the same thing in your district. So in PNW, we have five regular district meets and we have a a sort of a preseason meet before those five. And we have a a district championship meet at the end of those five. But so let's say it's a meet number two of the, of the regular season of uh, district meets in PNW. And it's the, you know, second or third, you know, prelim quiz on Friday. And a rookie uh, jumps and they get counted correct, but you're like, yeah, I could, I could challenge this and probably get this overruled and have the rookie counted incorrect. Probably best to just let that one go, uh, because a couple of reasons. Number one, you're going to be dissuading the rookie from continuing to quiz by a tiny amount. I mean, it's not like your challenge is going to be the one thing that causes them to change their mind about quizzing or something, but it will discourage away from the mission of quizzing by a little bit, number one. Um, and really number two is in the greater context of the meet, it probably shouldn't matter that you get them counted incorrect, right? Um, and of course there there would be different situations here, right? If it's a if it's somebody on your team who got counted incorrect and you're challenging to get them counted correct, that to me is a stronger case than trying to ch- uh, challenge to get somebody on a different team counted incorrect, uh, if they happen to be a rookie. Um, now then this, this starts to get into a really kind of a gray, blurry area here because then you say, well, what if it's not a rookie? What if it's, you know, Meet number two district meet, you know, uh, prelim number three on Friday question number five. And it's somebody who's in the top 10, uh, and they answer a question and you think you can challenge to get them overruled. Would you yes or no versus say the championship, uh, quiz of meet four. Right. Um, and it starts to get kind of into this weird gray area but i think there are certain cases like you know the 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 rookie and prelims on meet 2 which are very clearly on one side of the fence because i honestly, I don't think it really makes a giant difference overall, whether they get that the question correct or incorrect to you. Now it matters a lot to them and their team, but I don't think it really necessarily matters as much to you. You should be able to make it up in the rest of even just that one quiz. But I don't know, Scott, what do you think?
1: Yes, I think the context highly, highly, highly matters in district quizzing prelims. um, I think there's no real reason to challenge on things that are judgment calls i think if the quiz master makes an error that there's no reason that you shouldn't challenge um regardless of context or situation um if there's an objective error made but if we're talking about things like out of context or accounted correct and things like that um i think it is mostly beneficial for everybody to um be a bit more lenient and passive when it comes to challenges like that in prelims of a district, I think once you start getting into semifinals or finals, you're you're already filtering down to the more veteran and accomplished quizzers. And I think that um, kind of trying to compete on um, knowledge of the rule book and articulation of challenges is totally fine. And I definitely relished that part because I knew that I had really awesome captains who were not going to let me get away with anything ever. <laughs> Um, and that was part of the fun for me, right? Can I, can I formulate a good challenge, um, and anticipate their rebuttal and see if I can win one? Um, as you move on to something like the internationals level, I think everything is a grind and I would be fighting for points at every point and I, at every part of the entire meet. And I don't think that, um, a specific context should affect whether or not you decide to challenge, um, be it prelims versus semis, versus early in a quiz, late in a quiz, um, experienced quizzer opposing you or inexperienced quizzer, I I don't think any of that should have any bearing. Now, all that said, I think that in general, everybody does better when there are fewer challenges, protests, and errors in a quiz. And so there could be a situation where it's question two, another team has gotten a jump and gotten it right. And you are very confident that you can challenge and have it counted incorrect. But that's going to take two to six minutes, um, and it will change the tone of the room. And it is likely that even if you um, win that challenge that you don't end up scoring as well your own team as you would have if you had just left it alone, (laughs) which is almost, it it might seem backwards because you're, you're, you're actively gaining 20 to 30 points in this one decision. Um, But I think the general tone of a quiz has a ton of impact because of the 12 quizzers and really one official that um, have a a large bearing on the quiz. Yeah, totally agree. All right. So the next one is what to do in the quiz master is wrong. And for the sake of this, like I'm ignoring anything that could have any amount of subjectivity or judgment to it. (laughs) Um, But I'm thinking of a situation at international's, Decently long ago, PNW wasn't involved at all. Very, very good quizzer. Uh, jumped on chapter reference and um, had a couple options and quoted one of them, um, but it was out of context from the other one, and so was not counted correct, but was also not counted incorrect, so just went ahead and quoted the other one, was prompted for the question, gave it, and was counted correct. So a very clear miss of context by the Quizmaster, and this quizzer knew it immediately. Like. They were floored that they even got to continue answering. So inevitably, because this is finals at internationals, there was a challenge and a deliberation. And then um, you could see this quizzer, like, what do I give as a rebuttal? Like, it's a slam dunk that I was out of context. And amazingly, after it was literally like a 15-minute deliberation by the officials, they overruled the challenge and stuck with the original ruling. And I just don't know how I would act as that quizzer, you know? Because, I mean, I think... I mean, maybe you just stay silent because it benefits you. But at the same time, I don't know. I, it would feel so weird to me where I knew I was wrong. The other team knew that I was wrong. Probably anyone in the audience who was paying attention knew that I was wrong. But the officials
0: didn't. That's very interesting. So when the challenge happened, I'm assuming the challenge was from a, a, a an opposing team, right? Correct. And it was a perfectly well-stated challenge. Sure, sure. Um, now, the team that this quizzer was from, was he the captain or he or she was the captain? He was. Okay. Um, so in his rebuttal, what did he do? Did he just, did he say like, yeah, the challenge is correct. I was wrong. Or like, what did he do in his rebuttal?
1: So when the rebuttal fell to him, he kind of, I this is, my rem- memory is hazy, but it, I, I seem to remember he kind of took a beat. Like, what on earth do I say here? And then did say something defending himself, but it was very, Kind of like timid and abashed like it was man i don't even know if i should be saying this like i was 100 wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so and so it, it was not you know like he did, he did defend himself and didn't say like oh the, the challenge is absolutely correct um but everyone knew what was happening except perhaps the officials i don't know
0: <laughs> <laughs> right well yeah so i mean it, it it sounds like from your description that he was struggling in his own mind around the idea of like i know i'm wrong but I ought to at least try my best to come up with a rebuttal but should I and he's probably he's probably struggling in the moment to be, uh, around a you know an ethical dilemma in a sense and so you know I my my heart goes out to the guy because he's like you know it's one thing to you know kind of you know Tuesday morning uh, quarterback uh what was or is it called Monday morning quarterback I forget whatever um it's easy out of Out of that environment to sort of second guess what he was maybe deciding to do. But in the moment, you've got all the stress, the spotlight is on you, you have to say something. And so he's, he's both trying to figure out what he should say, but then the antecedent of that trying to figure out what is the right thing ethically to say before, (laughs) before he actually says something, I, I, I can totally sympathize. Um, so yeah. Um, well, so there's kind of two things. It, the quiz master was okay. So after the quiz master makes the ruling is there is nothing for the quizzer to do, right? Uh, there is nothing for the quizzer or the captain, if they were two different quizzers uh, for them to do, they can't, they can't, they, they have no option. They can't protest. They can't challenge again. Um, there's really nothing they can do, right? Um, really the only thing that's That's a viable option at at that point is for a coach to protest and say, no, that decision is just wrong. Right. Um, So really, we've got to back up to the it's rebuttal time and it goes to that captain. And do they say, yeah, I was just wrong. Or do they try to mount some kind of defense? And I'm, I'm really torn on this one because on one hand, I think there is something to be said of always trying to find a, a rebuttal option, a defensive option if one exists. But I think it needs to, you have to always be operating under, you know, the umbrella of, of ethical behavior. So, um, I think there is something to be said. So I don't know. I wouldn't call it unethical to try to come up with a fair rebuttal, even though, you know, you're probably in the wrong or actually in this case, not probably like, you know, you're in the wrong, but still coming up with, with some kind of rebuttal, because I think that's, that's the sort of the adversarial system of, of challenging. It's supposed, it's supposed to be that way. And then the the quiz master is supposed to fairly adjudicate and, and sort those uh, things out properly. Um, but i think there is something noble about saying in a case where it's you're it's just clear that uh that you're incorrect i think there's something noble about saying yeah um you know i was incorrect there was a situation i'm remembering from many internationals ago where a, uh, one team, uh, jumped, uh, answered the question, was counted incorrect and challenged and said, no, actually, I should be counted correct. And here's the reason. And they were absolutely like black and white letter of the rule book correct. And they were so correct that actually both other captains from both other teams during the rebut- rebuttal phases said, yeah, she's correct. Um, and there's something noble about that. They could have tried to find a way of of figuring out a rebuttal that, that would have caused the the question to remain incorrect. But both of them said, no, she got that one correct. It, it's just black and white. And there's something noble about that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, in this situation, I don't fault the quizzer for what they did at all. I just, it was such a bizarre situation. And I mean, I'm sitting in the audience and I just don't care because this was one of the most protracted, finals ever but i was just like baffled you know and i just i felt bad for the team up there the challenge because they did everything right and were right and didn't have it like have the outcome that should have happened
0: do you think the coach was of their team was aware of it um, not of the 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 quizzer who answered but of the of the team that challenged and was overruled do you think the the coach was following along and was aware that it was an incorrect ruling or did they Maybe were they aware, but then they decided a protest just wasn't worth it?
1: Um, based on who those other districts were, I absolutely believe they knew exactly what was going on and for whatever reason made the decision as a coach not to protest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've been there in that situation too. I mean, especially if you're talking about something where, you know, 15 minutes have gone by trying to adjudicate the the question, it's probably, I mean, you can certainly, very likely make up the one question deficit elsewhere. Um, hmm. Yeah. Finals went four quizzes
1: and went in the neighborhood of three hours. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so yeah. All right. Next one. Um, two more here. What to do when the protest is being, this is a very similar situation when the protest is being decided incorrectly, but it's in your favor. So it's actually the exact same situation. We're just at a protest level. Um, Cause I was part of one once that, Um, was not as, it was not a 100% slam dunk, but I would call it a 95% slam dunk. Um, and the three officials deciding we're not going to, um, accept the protest and the team that would benefit from that ruling were just silent the whole time. And I think it's roughly the same situation where it might be a high bar to like absolutely expect them to say like, this is incorrect. (laughs) Um, but at the same time, like, I'm as competitive as anybody, but I don't want the wrong outcome to happen just because the officials don't know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, it's very similar, right? I, so this is a situation, let's say, like, um, somebody protested who is not the, the current coach who has to make this call and the the protest the protest is getting overruled which would benefit this particular coach's team does this particular coach speak up and say i think the protest is is correct right um mm-hmm. causing harm to their team i i think it goes back to that sort of nobility thing i don't think there's anything wrong with staying silent, I mean, certainly don't provide any information that is that is incorrect. don't provide anything any information that is you know actively misleading or deceptive or anything like that. Certainly, certainly, that's a hard and fast line. Don't cross there. I don't think that it's particularly unethical to just stay silent. um but I think there is a sort of a an extra dose of nobility, I guess if that makes any sense to the coach who is willing to say, yeah, you really should accept this protest. They're, they're right. Um, and which, you know, certainly can hurt when when you're talking about something like this, especially in finals at, at internationals. But uh, but yeah, I think the same principle applies both to quizzer and coach. And probably I would be harsher a little bit, not harsher. I would expect the coach to make that decision more easily than the quiz master, if that makes sense. And the quizzer. Yeah, I think that I think I would I would I give a lot of leeway to quizzers because, you know, they're they're younger than coaches. They're under a lot more stress than the coaches are. They're up in front of everybody. Uh, a lot of spectators, um, you know, I, I there, there's time limits involved. You know, all the eyes are looking at them, that kind of stuff. So I, I I feel a lot more sympathy for a quizzer than I would a coach in that scenario.
1: I would too. I, I think it might be too far to to expect a coach who would benefit to speak up, um, but I would definitely hope that that happens um, more often than not.
0: Yeah, and I think it does. I think I think I mean protests are so rare, but I think when they do happen, I, I generally I think coaches are are mostly governed by what's the fair outcome right and because i mean ultimately in the in the bigger picture that's what everybody really wants and the coaches are theoretically at a place where they can see the big picture they're going to want as fair of rulings in all cases because that gives their team the best chance of success
1: yeah and most of the challenge, most of the protests that i've been a part of as a quizmaster um have have really just been one coach versus me the quiz master and even though there was another coach involved whose team would either benefit or um the opposite they were more or less a passive participant and that's generally how protests go all right so the last one was can you come up with some examples i'm thinking of i mean i was mostly thinking of from a quizzer standpoint but you could throw in from a coach standpoint as well but what are some examples of being too competitive
0: well, there's a couple. I'm going to go work backwards. I'm going to go from coach down to quizzer. Um, so from a coach's perspective, I think in coaching your team to challenge on every opportunity and then if you don't get your way to protest at nearly every opportunity is probably being too competitive. I there There were... I don't recall... I mean this hasn't happened in a very very long time but I want to say a good I don't know gosh 20 years ago it was maybe um but I could be getting my math very wrong on that but but some it was quite a quite quite a while back there was a particular coach of a particular team that that found Almost glee uh, from the ability to protest, even when he was probably in the wrong, he would protest. He would encourage his, his captain to, to challenge so that he could protest, so that he could have a much more active role as as being a coach. And it it was annoying. I mean, it was it was a lot of the stuff was pedantic. A lot of the stuff was uh, just slowed things down and it actually really hurt both the quiz itself, but really the meat, because rooms started getting behind because of this coach's, you know, sort of really, really aggressive behavior about squeaking out um, you know, the one extra point here and there kind of stuff. I think that's sort of an example of being too competitive when you're placing the you know, a, a very small, but still non-zero probability of having an extra point come your way versus the disruption around the protest. Right. Um, And of course it's a balancing act here, right? Because occasionally there are times where that one point of difference really is important. It really does matter. And you shouldn't be as a coach shy of protesting, right? Don't avoid protesting when it is appropriate to do so. But there's a certain level of like, don't try to squeeze out every little drop of, of juice from the lemon or something like that, right? Like there, there is a, a balance for the good of the meat and the good of the quiz and the good of your team. You want to be a good example uh, as well. When it comes to quizzers in terms of being too competitive. I think this one's really more subjective. It's much more, I think about attitude more than anything else, because I want, I want captains to challenge if they think a ruling is incorrect, uh, one way or the other. I mean, with the exceptions that we talked about before of, you know, if you're in a, you know, quiz three in prelims of meet two, and it's a rookie who, uh, got counted correct. Don't, Challenge. I mean, maybe skip that one, you know, kind of stuff. Um, but it's really, you know, if you're talking about internationals, um, then yeah. I mean, definitely, if you if you think there's an incorrect ruling, you should challenge and and be respectful and go at it. But I think it's a it's an attitude thing. Um, be independent of the outcome uh, of of a of a ruling toward your. Toward your attitude, right? So I think too competitive may not be the right way of describing it, but always come away from the quiz with the same attitude of like do your best, push as hard as you can, and if you get it right, great. And if you get an error, um, that's okay too. And just kind of accept it and move on to the next question and move on to the next quiz.
1: Yep. And I definitely agree on the quizzer level that it's all about attitude, because um there is a competitive nature to everything and You're wanting to beat other quizzers, um, but you're kind of wanting you as a quizzer to beat them as a quizzer while you are quizzing. And then at a certain point, that's done, you know. Um, And so keeping all of that in perspective is important. And I think that a coach should not view themselves as like their team's fifth or sixth quizzer. Um, Like I always viewed myself as like there to back up my quizzers. So, um, if there are times where their challenges are are overruled, and I think that that was incorrect, I'm protesting to back them up, you know. Um, and I, I, even though the rule is made probably partly partially because of me, I think it's a great rule that an overruled protest, oh, an overruled challenge is required um, before there's a protest for for almost. Almost all of the circumstances. There are rare circumstances where you don't need an overall challenge, like you thought like a quizzer's light was off or something more logistical based than application of um, the rule book based. And I think that's great because if a quiz master misses, like makes an incorrect ruling about context, correct, prompting, um, any of that stuff, and then your own quizzer doesn't catch it and challenge. That's kind of the end of the story. Like that should be the end of the story. (laughs) Um, But if they do catch it and do challenge and are overruled and you think that that's incorrect, you're there to back them up. And I think that's how everyone should view the point of protests um, is to back up your quizzers.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean quizmasters are human, they're going to make errors. Um we frequently do because there's a lot a lot a lot of decisions that we have to make and just because of the sheer number of decisions if we're right 99% of the time, we're still going to make errors. Um and those errors can become, you know, big deals um in terms of uh, you know uh points or positions or something like that. So the challenge protest system is there so that quizmasters can be held to uh, a high standard of accountability and and accuracy and really a good quizmaster uh and actually let me turn that around a not bad quizmaster wants to be challenged when they are wrong and wants to be protested when they are wrong uh because the a, a, a not bad quizmaster wants to be as accurate and fair as possible
1: absolutely um i had a thought but it's gone yeah it's gone out into the world those are all of our topics did, did that spawn any
0: similar related questions in your mind i don't think so in my mind i'm sure there's more that could could pop in there but um yeah it'll be um it'll be interesting to see how things work at internationals we're for the first time in virtual quizzing with internationals we are uh allowing protests to take place um prior the prior virtual meets we were uh, not allowing protests because we were just deeply concerned that it would spiral quizzes out of control and there was there essentially we, we the very first virtual meet was very very locked down i don't even think we allowed challenging um in the very first one I, although i can't remember because we were just so terrified of like Things are just going to go off the rails, and we're not really sure how things are going to go. And as we've been progressively doing more and more virtual quiz meets, we're we're starting to realize like this is actually more robust than what we were originally thinking it could be, which is great. I mean, it's never it's still nowhere near as good as you know in person quizzing, but it's still uh, it, it's becoming an increasingly a more viable alternative um, when no other, you know, in person, uh, in person options are there, and so we've been slowly kind of opening up. We um, the second virtual meet, I think we started allowing substitutions uh, and then and challenges and and in internationals we will be allowing um, all the way up through protests the whole shebang we're still going to be doing you know uh, team jumping for bonuses as opposed to uh, seat assigned bonuses Um, but we're just kind of expanding the envelope there so it'll be interesting to see at this level what kind of stuff comes into play and what kind of things coaches will bring to the table
1: Definitely. And we would love feedback on this episode. I I believe that PNW is amongst the most um, most aggressive when it comes to challenges and protests. And if there are people that think that that is too aggressive and res- more restraint should be exercised for a specific reason, we'd love to hear it. It doesn't have to be PNW specific, but if you th- if you think our thoughts on challenges and protests were a little bit too liberal, we would love to hear the other side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I very much would like to hear uh, disagreements on, on the spectrum. I've, I've heard, you know, everything from the, uh, you know, ethics go out the window, a quizzer and a coach should do everything they possibly can to squeak out every question. Obviously I disagree with that perspective. And then on the other side of the, the, the spectrum, uh, there are districts that actually don't allow protesting in any context, and in some districts, even challenging is uh generally frowned upon in most contexts so um I don't agree with you know that that side of the spectrum either because I think in both cases quizzing suffers right um if we turn this into you know a beat down slug out fest and we're you know willing to deceive you know on on one end of the spectrum, I think we're. Yeah, I I think we are taking quizzing out of the realm of of Christianity. I don't want to go there, but at the same time, I think challenge the challenge and protest system is necessary because quizmasters are human and we will make mistakes, and those mistakes can sometimes uh, lead to unfairness, and that unfairness detracts from the mission of of quizzing, which is to get the most number of quizzers to memorize the most amount of material. So, you know, that's where, where I come down. But at that, at that said, I would very much like to hear the arguments on, you know, if you're, ha- if you have to be on either end of the, the spectrum away from where we are, I'd very much like to be convinced with arguments, uh, to maybe change my mind. Definitely. Well, I guess on that bombshell, uh, we should, uh, close. So, uh, as always, we very much would like to hear from you um, if you're from p and or from elsewhere in CMA quizzing, or if you're from a non-CMA quizzing universe. I know there's a few folks who listen from Nazarene and a few others. and uh, Or if you have never participated in quizzing at all, we would like to hear from you. In fact, if you've never participated in quizzing at all, I really, really want to hear from you because I would love to get you plugged into uh, some sort of quizzing organization, in your local area so please email us at iq at cbqz.org and you can follow us on twitter our account is at inside quizzing and if you are so inclined you can go to biblequizzing.slack.com and you can uh, sign in and uh, join us in the inside quizzing channel to talk about all things inside quizzing and with that i will say thank you everybody for listening and thank you scott thanks everybody